Coming up next on Twitch, this week in computer hardware, the Commodore 64 goes Adam, 3TB Barracudas, AMD 6790, and an AMD card you might not want, 10 cores of Xeon fun, and why you don't need 24 gigs of memory. Coming up next on Twitch. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twitch. Bandwidth for Twitch is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twitch This Week in Computer Hardware, episode 114, recorded April 7, 2011. The Commodore 64 is back? This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com slash twitch. And by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. Welcome to Twitch This Week in Computer Hardware. I'm Patrick Dorton, joined as always by the benchmarking madman who we hope is not still weeping after Kentucky's departure from March I, Madness. Are you okay, sir, Mr. Shroud? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting over it now. Yeah, it's, it's been a little while. Uh, I had to not watch ESPN for a few days, uh, which is always very difficult for me. I watch that channel most of the time. But yes, I had to avoid kind of all contact anytime somebody comes to me and asks me about it. You know, um, nope, we're done. We're not we're, it's it's almost next season now, so fully recovered. It's almost ex. It's almost next season. <laughs> I was actually just reading. I guess uh, ESPN's got. Is it an iPhone app? ESPN ESPN is running uh, in the same sense where HBO and Showtime are doing online delivery of some of their content, but only if you already have a cable provider full time. I don't. So, so there's, I haven't. I haven't seen that. Now, ESPN3.com is, is really, really cool. It's not, I don't think it's available in any particular application necessarily. Um, but you can, like anything that they, are, that they play on ESPN, any of the ESPN channels, you can go to ESPN3.com and stream locally. And it's really high quality and it's really good. Even, you know, sitting next to a, like a 40-inch TV or something like that and blowing it up right next to you at 1080p, it actually looks pretty good. I've been pretty impressed with that. So they're ahead of the curve for sure. <laughs> so should we, uh, should we start out with AMD or AMD is the top story of the day? Or what about the next one is AMD? I, well, we're, we're start, start with AMD. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I saw. I see the inset now. Uh, we'll start out with uh, an AMD graphics card, I guess. It is another week. It is a time for another GPU. Uh, this time we have, uh, again, we kind of go into the mid-range budget realm, $150 graphics card. This is a Radeon HD 6790. And I have to be careful how I say this because all the letters are going to be juxtaposed from other existing cards. Um, this looks very much like any other AMD card that's come out in the last year or so. Um, the, the retail versions are going to look a lot different than this. This is, this is the reference card that AMD sent out, uh, but they aren't selling reference-based designs in the retail market. This is a $150 graphics card. It's meant to compete against the likes, excuse me, of the NVIDIA GTX 550 Ti, uh, the NVIDIA GTX 460 cards, AMD's own Radeon HD 5770, that type of thing. Uh, it does a very good job of that. Um, it easily walks away with the performance crown over the GTX 550 Ti, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago at least, um, that was, was kind of disappointing in that it, it couldn't beat the currently existing parts out there, and it was going to cost as much, if not a little bit more. This um, squarely takes aim at that card and, and beats it pretty much on every, every benchmark we had. Um, it also is almost capable of beating NVIDIA's like ancient GTX 460. I say ancient, you know, with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there, but um, the GTX 460 is now kind of like the best competition for this card. You know, some, some other reviews kind of said that they were a little bit disappointed that this card didn't have, a, have more performance for the $150 price mark. Um, okay. We seem to have gotten into a per price performance rut almost <laughs> where 
they're not, you know, for the same $150 price point, we're, we're not seeing these big jumps in performance like right. we are maybe seeing at the higher price cards. We see, you know, the, they have maybe seen consumers um, say that's good enough type of thing for performance, um, which, which can, be, can be a little bit of a letdown. This, there's no doubt that this is faster than the $150 graphics card of last year. Is it faster than cards that cost $150 today? Maybe not. The GTX 460 being that particular um, uh, thorn in, in the card side. But it's a good card nonetheless. Um, it's going to be offered with, with two six-pin power connectors or one mm -hmm. six-pin power connector, depending on which uh, builder you're going to, which OEM you're going to use and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of nice with that. Uh, if you're looking for like a home theater PC, ultimate low power draw type of thing, you can, you can check out one of those options. But um, overall, still... A good graphics card for the $150 for those users in the budget realm. Right. So, sure. For those of us in the budget realm. How, and this kind of contrasts it. Uh, people don't seem to be nearly as happy with the price performance numbers for the AMD 6450. Which yeah, is, you know. Because I, I first started reading it and I'm thinking like, you know, this, oh, this, this sounds like a really great, inexpensive home theater PC card. Then all of a sudden I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, wait, 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 how much is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 55 bucks. You know, it's, it's like, okay, if you've got an older system, you know, with outdated onboard graphics, it sounds like a good idea. But if you're running with a more modern, like, Core i5, it almost seems like right. it's barely beating uh, the onboard graphics. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty low-power card in terms of processing mm -hmm. performance. This card had 800 shader processors on it. The 6450 apparently has 160 shader processors on it. 64-bit um, memory bus versus 256-bit bit memory bus. This is a, a vastly inferior card in terms of raw performance. And, it's, mm -hmm. and you're right, its goal is, well, if you've got integrated graphics, uh, here's a step up. But uh, the, the review that you linked to, uh, we haven't tested it yet, just a quick kind of overview at Tech Report. They only tested a handful of games, Bulletstorm, Civ Five, Left 4 Dead 2. The performance of the 6450 wasn't that much better than the Sandy Bridge integrated graphics. Um, looking at Left 4 Dead 2 at 1440 by 900, you know, the, the integrated graphics of the Core i5 2500K was 36 frames per second. The discrete card was 44 frames per second. So it was faster, but not by a whole lot. But it's kind of like, you know, so this is a card, okay, you've got an older system you want to turn into a home theater PC and, and take the Blu-ray acceleration off the CPU uh, or H right. even better, like 1080p H.264 video off of YouTube. That'll crush an older system. Um, or, you know, you want to triple head your computer at a third monitor that you're using for, like, spreadsheets, not gaming. You know, 55 right. bucks, probably 45 in a few weeks, <laughs> the way things drop. But, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting watching, like, on one end, the 6790, everybody's raving about. At the other end, for, like, 55 bucks, um, you know, ooh, not much better than onboard, uh, onboard graphics from Sandy Bridge, which is a little strange. Right. Um, and then, right. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Lano, Lano or Leno, I always mess that one up. We're going to go with Lano. I'm pretty sure okay. that that's, yeah, I, we'll have meetings with AMD <laughs> about it sometime coming up soon, but I assume it's Lano as well. Uh, it, it shipped, AMD kind of put out a press release about it, and I think it got a lot of people overly excited because mm -hmm. uh, they thought they were going to be able to go out to Newegg and buy these. We're probably a good three months away from retail availability of this. When we say that it's shipping, we mean the very first packaged wafers are shipping from the right. manufacturing facility in Singapore, going over to OEMs to start building test systems with um, those types of things. So they're they're shipping them for revenue, is what they call it, which means they're getting money and profit <clears throat> from these okay. sales. Uh, but it's still going to be you know three months or so before we start seeing consumer availability of it, which is good because we don't have any of the other infrastructure like the AM3 Plus motherboards and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Now, as you note, this is not the bulldozer-based processor. Bulldozer is the next-generation CPU, CPU uh, core architecture that's coming from AMD. This is Lano. This is kind of like the existing Phenom CPU architecture uh, coupled with a very high-performance, discrete-level GPU in, the, in part of the Fusion line of parts that they're making. So this is a CPU-GPU combo. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, the performance out of the CPU comes... Somewhat close to what we saw out of that 6450, 
part we were just talking about because we do expect this to be faster than anything Sandy Bridge has uh, in terms of integrated graphics. You know, the, the CPU side of it will probably be behind Intel still in that mm -hmm. regard, but the GPU side we expect to be in front of. And again, it's going to support DX11 and a bunch of cool features like that that Intel does not have yet. Always a plus. And in the surreal news, uh, I think the New York Times may have been the first one to report on this, and now it's one of those things where it's kind of gone viral, and 275,000 right. people in counting have, have written articles on it that are linked off in Google News somewhere. But the Commodore 64 is back. It's kind of bizarre. Uh, CommodoreUSA.net's the website. And they essentially have replicated the original Commodore PC design. If you're you know, under 30, this is going to be hazy. If you're under 20, um, you've probably never heard of this at all. But it was one of the original, uh, it was one of the original affordable uh, personal PCs. And it's kind of funny. It was for a lot of people. It was also their introduction to to computer gaming. Uh, PC. Why well, shouldn't? Well, personal computer gaming. This is well before uh, uh, Windows came out. But it's really funny because essentially it's a uh, dual-core 525 Atom processor, uh, NVIDIA Ion 2 graphics stuffed inside of a classic um, a classic Commodore 64-style case. And uh, it's just the most bizarre thing because they're like, it has an emulator built in. You can run classic Commodore games, which is a real throwback uh, even compared <laughs> to Atari. Like It's like Atari came out with a collection. Like a, you can do like 100 different Atari games now on an iOS app. But... Um, it's funny, when it ships, it will actually be shipping with an Ubuntu disk while they work on the new Commodore version of, I guess, Ubuntu with the OS and the emulator built in. Um, but this guy bought the rights to Commodore, or at least the name, and I presume the software, and is you know, hmm. trying to bring Commodore back. And then they've got sort of a VIC-20, which is the follow-up to the Commodore-style computer, which is a, essentially an a even smaller computer uh, built into a keyboard device. Um, I just thought it was the strangest thing. Uh, and it was one. I think it's one of those things where people are getting severely nostalgic about this. Oh yeah, super super early uh, machine. The the Seems website a for it. Price to you? Uh, I was here, and they were starting at somewhere between two hundred uh, and running up to nine hundred for fully loaded ones. Two hundred um, is like a bare bones, and I think the cheapest complete system you can get is like five ninety five. Yeah, and which is with pretty, the hard drive and all that kind of stuff. Well, you can get the VIC-20, which is basically somebody, you know, some looks like a, a standard issue Taiwanese, Chinese uh, computer and a keyboard design um, for 400 bucks. Yeah, it's it's definitely a little pricey, especially since they're not actually shipping you the the cool guy Commodore or uh, Commodore operating system stuff um, in the box. That's coming later. That that kind of sucks to me. Um, but I think they're kind of trying to strike while the iron is hot, or maybe they're just trying to strike. I think they intended to have the operating system done, but they did a tie-in right. with the Blu-ray launch of the classic, the Tron, uh, the original Tron movie. So they put yeah. advertising on that Blu-ray in DVD distribution. So I think they're desperately trying to get hardware out. Well, you know, because I can't imagine what it costs uh, this tiny startup computer company to um, get Apple or to Apple to get uh, to get Disney to put their advertisement on the Blu-ray disc because their big thing is like 1982. Tron, the Commodore 64 introduced, and we're going to launch our... No, it's just like, ooh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's an interesting moment. So we Very should probably cool. take a quick break. we got uh, three terabyte Barracudas coming out. 10-core um, Intel Xeons are coming soon. Thermal Takes Level 10 has finally been... Somebody finally got hands-on with that thing. Well, let's take a moment to thank one of our sponsors. I think Squarespace is coming up. That's right, squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. Let's pretend, for example, that you're interested about computer hardware. I hope that's probably the case since you're listening to us yammer on about it uh, once a week for about an hour each time. Um, maybe you want to pursue that interest. You want to start a blog. You want to start talking about it. Maybe eventually start writing for some of the major sites, contribute in different areas. One of the best ways you can get started with that is to start your own website, do your own writing, practice and then when you go to apply at some other website, you can say, here's all my previous work. Here's some of my previous things that I have done. It's a great way to get started in any industry, whether or not you're interested in hardware, video games, uh, general tech publishing, anything like that. And Squarespace.com is a great place to get uh, your website up and running. Um, it has an easy-to-use user interface for creating and managing your website. It's optimized for both beginners and CSS experts. So if you know how to get 
into the code, into the nitty gritty behind websites. You can absolutely do that. You could modify things to your heart's content, but if you don't, you have the ability to use their templates, modify things slightly with their easy drag and drop Ajax interface and make it your own very quickly, very easily, uh, you know, in the span of a couple of hours, you'll be able to get a, a pretty high quality website up there. They have hundreds of those design templates. It's an all-inclusive service. It includes uh, lots of modules that build your website, like a blog module that includes import and export support for WordPress, Blogger, Movable Type, TypePad, has a forum, it has form builders if you want to collect information from your viewers or viewers or readers. Uh, has Flickr photo display, great for uh, thumbnails and slideshows, photographers, that type of thing, Twitter widgets, Google Maps, lots more. It does have website tracking, built-in search engine optimizing, so you don't have to worry about any of that type of stuff. If you want to have multiple users kind of publishing to this blog, not a problem. They have permission access handling on this, so that's user control set up pretty easily. And it's a cloud architecture as well that's built for speed and reliability, so that if you your site does get traffic, you write a good article, it gets linked by Engadget, Slash.dig, those guys, you don't have to worry about the site going down because of your hosting provider. Um, we talked about the innovative drag and drop Ajax inter interface. There's also an iPhone app where you can log in your website, update it on the go very easily. You can use Squarespace for all of your website needs, build it, host it, and update it anytime. Now, if you want to try it out, you can get a free 14-day trial just by going to squarespace.com slash twitch, T-W-I-C-H. You don't uh, need a credit card. You just sign up for a free account. You get 14 days to build your website, try it out, see how easily it'll work for you. And you can get all that again at squarespace.com slash twitch. We thank them for their support of This Week in Computer Hardware. Now, what do you say we uh, talk about some more of that interesting hardware, including you posted a link here to a Seagate 3 terabyte Barracuda drive and uh, whether or not we're going to need a UEFI BIOS. <laughs> well, you will need a, it's kind of funny, right? So we were talking about three terabyte drives in Texilla uh, last week. We've mm -hmm. got a NAND coming up um, later this, or I guess on uh, Tuesday, to talk about uh, kind of the state of the SSD market right now. And it's actually a pretty right. good time to buy an SSD. Um, three terabyte drives, most of them are designed, are, are more designed towards low power, low thermal, um, looking for a you know more of a server drive than something we'd think of, and when I say a server drive, more of a home server, not like a crazy industrial grade server in a server sure. farm. Um, but this is the first time we've really seen, and no disrespect to Hitachi, but a real stab at a performance three terabyte drive. This one's coming from Seagate. It's their Barracuda brand, which is a traditional performance oriented right. uh, home user drive, and it's pretty crazy because you're looking at like eight cents a gigabyte. And the article I found, the first one I found reviewing this was uh, Bjorn3D.com, and they're calling it the fastest mechanical drive they have ever te have ever tested. It's it's going to get spanked by an SSD. It's it's probably going to get spanked by a hybrid drive uh, under the right situations. Um, but you're looking at uh, <laughs> really cheap price for a lot of storage and some pretty decent performance out of that one. Um, hmm. And apparently, they're saying the aerial density is so high, it's just moving data ridiculously fast under the heads, which I thought was kind of an interesting thought. 7,200 RPM, three terabyte drive, um, 10 watts of power for average consumption, and uh, maximum sustained data transfer of 149 megabits per second, uh, 138 for the two terabyte versions. So 488 gigabytes per square inch aerial density. Think about that, dude. 488 gigabytes in every square inch of the platter. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. It's pretty uh, yeah, I'm heavy, looking too. It's, it's a five-disc yeah. drive, which uh, five-disc five drive platter? and a five-year warranty, which I thought was interesting also. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I guess they're, let's see, I'm looking at some of the HD TAC results. Mm -hmm. You know, average read speeds in the 138 to 140 megs. So you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it is going to get beat by SSDs, and especially at that, you know, kind of important access time uh, benchmark. But, I mean, eight cents per gigabyte, that's pretty nice. <laughs> considering, Fair you know, like the a best we're getting for SSDs for is... Yeah, buck fifty. You know, that's that's like best case scenario. So, an order of magnitude difference there, um, for sure. <laughs> it's I'm nice. Trying to think of, let's see. I'm looking for the exact full price on it because they're basically saying it's shipping. Doo -doo 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 -doo. Yeah, it's got to be three twenty nine, two ninety nine, something like that. I know when Western Digital first came out with their uh, three terabyte drives. Um, 
they were, they, I mean, they're pretty pricey. So if you look at the cost per gigabyte, it's actually probably a little bit better right. on the two terabyte drives. Actually, probably quite a bit better on, on those. Uh, actually, you can get the WD, you can get the Western Digital Caviar drives for 178 bucks now for three terabytes. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of awesome. Yeah, just make sure if you try, if you think you're going to boot from this drive, unless you've got a, a late model uh, Intel Mac or a very late model PC motherboard, um, there's a reason the Western Digital is shipping a uh, card with the original a, a PCI Express card, basically to support UFI, um, uh, basically UFI BIOS and GUID tables for the partitioning. 64-bit operating system is required to natively address all three terabytes of space because, uh, yep. like. 2.19 terabyte cap on 32-bit uh, versions of uh, Windows and other operating systems. So, Indeed. you know, don't rush headlong into buying a 3-terabyte drive until you've made sure you're going to, you know, if you're going to be really irritated by having, like, Windows XP and two partitions on your on your 3-terabyte drive, you may want to hold off on a 3-terabyte drive or see if you can find one of the Western yeah. Digitals out there with the bundled... Uh, it's, uh, it's not as, as plug-and-play yeah, idiot-proof as hard drives have traditionally been. I found uh, the Seagate Barracuda XT 3 terabyte. Uh, than I thought. Um, yeah. But still, that's still, still really, really nice. What do you think of the looks of the uh, Thermaltake Level 10? Because I, I, people look at that and it's, you know, part of me, I was, I was watching, uh, uh, I was watching Red Dwarf. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's a British sci-fi uh, it's basically about a bunch of characters trapped three million years into the future on a British spaceship freighter kind of thing. And this case always kind of reminds me, every time I see it, uh, or every time I've seen it since, uh, I think, CES, the first time I look at it, and I got to say, it reminds me of the Red Dwarf painted black. It's just one of those, it's, yeah. man, it's, you know, it's, it's got love it or hate it looks. I don't think anybody's in There's between. There's two different and, versions here. Now, the level 10, the first level 10 that came out was the one that um, is $849 at Newegg. It was co-developed by Thermaltake and BMW. It had some very innovative uh, thermal properties and design yeah. properties to it. That, the cool. engineering side of it was absolutely spectacular. Oh, yeah. The idea that they've isolated every single component, they've separated the airflow and the cooling for as many components. You know what I mean? Because it's like the idea that individual containers for each hard drive that separate that part. Of, I, 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 the engineering aspect of it was really cool, especially the thermals. Right. Um, and then the now thermal the level, take <laughs> GT. The, the level ten GT. <laughs> is a $269 case at Newegg. So still um, on, on the pricey side, without a doubt. Uh, but it is, you know, it's more plastic than metal at this point. Right. It is made for kind of a, a much more general audience. Obviously, not a lot of people are going to pay $800 to $900 for just the case on their computer. Now, they tried to capture um, some of the Level 10 styling into this, but it's the not individualized. The thing. <laughs> right, right. They, they tried their hardest. Um, and well, I gotta it say there's... It doesn't look bad, in my it, opinion. I, it, it does come down to a personal taste type of thing, I guess, too. But It doesn't look completely awful, he said. <laughs> right. I was, uh, you know, hey. I, I wouldn't be embarrassed for my wife to see me using it at home. Um, well, it's kind of funny because it, it does have the big removable, you know, you can see sort of in the, the back shot of it, the big box on the side, which means it's got the little slide out for to keep the cat fur out of your computer, which is always a plus. Um, but yeah, the similar modular, similar modular design to the original Level 10. Uh, USB 3.0 support, better airflow system, uh, headphone carrier on the left side of the case. I'm still trying to figure out which part is the headphone carrier on the left side of the case. Um, you'll see it. There's, I think it might fold out or maybe it's not permanently attached, but there's like a little uh, ledge that comes out. If you, on the last page of the review at our site, if you look on the last page, there's, there's, there's a picture of um, the headphones resting on the case. And it's, you know, it's just like a little um, curved shelf. piece of plastic <laughs> there. It's shelf that's, that's meant to hold the top of your headphones. It actually works pretty well. Uh, Steve, who did oh, this review at our site, mentions that, you know, it's got, it's kind of nice. It's got the handle on it. It's got security locks. So you feel a little bit better maybe about taking this to LAN parties if you still do that kind of stuff. Um, uh, extra air cooling additions. It, uh, it's not going to be a problem handling your, your quad core, your hexa core processors and systems and that type of thing. Um, and they 
he does say here that it's, it has the ability to handle up to graphics cards up to 14 inches long. So even nice. the, you know, the, the GTX 590 or the Radeon 6990, if you have those uh, sitting around in your system, you don't have to worry about this case necessarily not fitting that, even though it looks like a somewhat smaller case. Um, it, it's, it's, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. We've actually, and I just got in uh, a new Antec case, the model number I can't remember right now, and then the Corsair 600, 650D. Ooh. So we're going to be reviewing those soon. So it's like, if you like the 700D, a little bit smaller, a little bit less expensive, that's one to take a look out for too. But, uh, you know, the Level 10 GT, a lot of people have been kind of dissing it uh, because of its appearance, because it's it looks like a cheaper version, which it is, of the original Level 10. I and mean, if you liked it, you know, chances are you'll like this. Uh, <laughs> and if you're willing to, to, you know, save $600, then you might... You might want to give it another thought, I guess. It's also funny because um, it does. It is supposed to have better thermals than the original, like nine hundred dollar case. What I want to know is, is, is nice? I, I don't know if I missed it when I read through it, but did Steve try to pick it up by the handle. He said the plastics felt pretty sturdy, but I want to know if he tried to carry it by the handle sticking out. Uh, of the top. I didn't see that. I, I would assume <laughs> he did. He mentions that for for land party usage. Um, I, I would still be personally nervous about it, no matter what. Or it's just sense of adventure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, me and sense of adventure holding up a you know a two thousand dollar PC. I'm all, I'm gonna put it on a rolling cart if I'm gonna move yeah. it into quick. That you know. You're also talking to the guy who just destroyed a, a notebook in a in a Pelican uh, test. It survived like twenty foot tosses uh, in the Pelican case we were testing on Texilla. Yeah. But uh, the sledgehammer was probably the viewer suggestion for a sledgehammer was probably not the brightest thing I've followed up on recently. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nicely done. So should we just skip over and let people who are enthusiasts know that the uh, ten core Xeon servers are coming? <laughs> yeah, if you if you own and operate uh, server racks, be prepared to spend about forty six hundred dollars per chip for uh, the Intel Xeon ten core processors. Ten cores, twenty threads. Very good performance. A lot of There's, money out of your pocketbook. The Digitimes article was saying like 40% greater performance than the Xeon 7500 processors and then reducing the idle and full power draw. Um, wow. But That's it's nice. pretty crazy. It's like, a there's, what's the line? Like uh, 18 new processors for two, four, and eight socket servers. And it's expandable to servers with 256 sockets. Can you say Intel wants to be a big part of cloud computing? <laughs> 256 sockets? That's what the article says. It's digitime, wow. so it must be right. <laughs> That's got to be like InfiniBand connected devices, I'm sure, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's I actually should say, I think it's Digitimes quoting Intel. Um, mm. Yeah, recognize, and it's kind of funny, right? Because, you know, people, people are always talking about like Blade servers and some of the more low perform or low, low power consuming stuff. But right. this is like, yeah, recognizing the range of compute-intensive applications from climate modeling to real-time business analytics and the need for uncompromised performance. You know, this is old school. Ten advanced 10-core versions of the chip led by the nice. E7 8870. It's just crazy. <laughs> 130 watts is the thermal design point across these chips. It's not, Those too, are bad. Be it's not too bad for 10 cores. That's pretty impressive. Oh. Yeah. Two terabytes of memory in a four-socket four system supported by the new processors. Turbo boost, hyper-threading, virtualization. Yeah. Pretty nice. Plus some pretty crazy built-on security. So if you have the deep pockets and the need for a badass Very server, deep. Intel wants your money. <laughs> uh, before we jump into our emails, let's uh, take a quick second here to thank the second of today's wonderful sponsors of this very podcast. That would be Netflix. If you haven't heard of Netflix, you are not paying attention. Uh, they are likely the best online streaming video service you'll 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 ever find. And considering that they started as DVDs in the mail only, that's actually saying something pretty good. They do deliver uh, movies directly to your home, and that saves you time, money, and hassle. Anybody that has done I don't VHS rentals in the last decade will will understand that. Maybe 20 years, I guess. Uh, but you can also instantly watch thousands of TV episodes and movies stream directly to your PC or Mac or stream to your TV via a Netflix ready device, including Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, or the, even the Nintendo Wii. Uh, we have an Xbox 360 at our house that 
um, basically at this point in its life is only a Netflix streaming device. Um, so I can totally respect and understand that. Plus you can <laughs> still get DVDs by mail in about one business day, Blu-rays as well, um, based on different pricing packages. You can watch as many movies as you want, anytime you want. There are never any late fees or any due dates, which is good for me because I tend to forget stuff like that. Um, now, Netflix streaming video, one of these things they want us to do is recommend a title for our uh, listeners and viewers to try out the service with. And uh, looking through the streaming selection, probably the biggest surprise I saw there was that Toy Story 3 was available. And um, I don't know uh, you, how your son is three years old now, Patrick. He loves that movie. Does he? Absolutely. Okay. Positively adores, adores, adores the braces, <laughs> impact, the ability to speak, adores Toy Story 3. He's probably not old enough to uh, uh, cry weeping and sadness at the end, though. <laughs> no, but he gets a little intense. Like, you know, he, he? understands that the, the toys are, are in danger, so he gets really... Good. No, and then he just sees this thing where the big kid gives the little kids the toys, and he's kind of excited about that. But no, he doesn't yeah. have the big cathartic, like, oh, my goodness, look at the way they've wrapped <laughs> this entire gigantic story loop, moving on to a new it's generation. Just, it's yeah. just like it's about me. Um, <laughs> Toy Story 3 is a great movie, even if you know if you think it's an animated flick and, and, and you're not into that, I, I think it's definitely worth watching. Uh, best animated feature, best music song, and it was a best picture nominee at the uh, Academy Awards, has Tom Hanks, Tim Allen in it, the same kind of cast and crew from the other Toy Story movies, both of the other which are also very good. Um, it's available for instant play on your PC or Mac or Netflix-capable device, so definitely want to check this out. Um, uh, this one or any other of thousands of TV episodes or movies, you, when you register for a free trial membership, go to netflix.com slash twit, T-W-I-T, uh, and just sign up for your free trial, netflix.com slash twit. And we thank them for their support of This Week in Computer Hardware and the entire Twit network. Woohoo! So what do you say we get to some emails, answer some, mm -hmm. uh, some people's dying questions? Mark's got a question about transferring data to a new PC. He says, I'm building a new PC for my father to replace his eight-year-old Celeron running Windows XP. Just wondering if there's an easy way to migrate his data over to Windows 7. For my PC builds, I typically take the old C drive and install it on the new PC as a secondary drive and copy over the files I need. I can use a USB adapter to plug in his old IDE drive to the new PC and copy over the files, but I was wondering if there might be a faster, easier way. Thanks a lot. I continue to listen to the podcast every week. Great work, guys. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, well, it's kind of funny. Windows 7 actually has a built-in tool called the Microsoft Easy Transfer. Um, and if you have uh, XP or Vista, um, it'll help you transfer your files and settings from a previous computer. Um, it's pretty painless. Uh, you basically, you go to the, if you have a, basically, if Windows 7, you can transfer it to a new PC, the, the, uh, uh, the uh, easy transfer is built into Windows 7. You go to the website. Uh, uh, it's easiest to search on Google for, for Windows easy transfer than it is to actually find it on Microsoft's website. You download a XP or ver a Vista version for 32 or 64-bit Windows, and then you basically um, you know transfer your files and settings over. It's relatively painless. If you're looking for something more sophisticated, or if you've got a really old machine like a Windows 98 box, I highly mm -hmm. recommend Laplink.com. Uh, they do a program called PC Mover, and they've got like way too many versions of it: uh, the Upgrade <laughs> Assistant, the Image Assistant, the Home version, the Netbook Edition, the Professional version. Um, but what's interesting about PC movers, it actually allows you to um, choose applications to move over from your older installation. I'm always a little apprehensive about moving applications to a new PC. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it yeah. doesn't work. Um, but, you know, it's the idea that you can transfer to a main user. With, with, with uh, PC mover, the Laplink program, um, it does some interesting stuff where they just make it easier to move from an old PC to a new PC um, and just sort of uh, play around with the operating system image or, or transfer like that. So it's something worth checking out. It's got a lot of positive reviews. Um, I've helped people out using it in the past, but I would probably start with Windows Easy Transfer. And to be honest with you, you can also, I mean, your basic idea, 
you know, a lot of people I know, they, they don't even bother with a Windows Easy Transfer, which is free if you want to download it or something with lap length. They do exactly what you do, Mark, which is plug the old drive in somehow through a USB connection or an onboard, uh, right. onboard IDE slot and just drag and drop stuff over. Just do yourself a favor. It makes you remember the bookmark link, like all the lists of the bookmarks from the browser your dad uses. And I always like to, especially if I'm doing it for somebody else, I like to label that drive and put it someplace safe for a few months. <laughs> yeah, there's always, I, I, do that, I do that same thing. Um, I, I do exactly what he recommends or what he does is I still take the old hard drive, stick it in the new system, so I always have it there. Uh, my problem is, is I never, it ends up staying there for all eternity <laughs> uh, and I never pull it back out. Like I, I always don't use it anymore. Like I copy all the data over, but I'm always so worried that I'm going to forget that one thing that I'm going to need. And like you're saying, you hold on to it for a couple of months. I, I basically do that for a couple of years. And I, you know, now looking back, it's like, why did I keep that hard drive in that case for 36 months? Um, so, so, so when you move to the next one, you end up with three hard drives in that case and four hard drives. See, that's the thing. I only take crazy the one hard drive to the next system. So... I, I, you know, I don't, I don't continually like have seven or eight hard drives that I then have to move into the new system or anything like that. So at least I don't, I don't do it that bad, I guess. So I don't know. I did find, uh, I was up on, uh, I was doing some stuff on water cooling up on frozen CPU. Leanne Lee now has an aluminum case with 18 five and a quarter inch drive bays. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly what we all need. Yes. The rip. I'm telling you, the rip monster. I, I I thought six drives was enough, but apparently I need 18 drive bays loaded. Never. Have. <laughs> uh, let's then see, I want to start ripping Blu-rays. Nice. Email from Tulan about 25 nanometer SSD. So I was about to jump on a deal from Newegg for a Vertex 2 120 gig SSD that is $170 after rebate. But I started reading some of the reviews and it seems they are selling a 25 nanometer process version, which does not perform the same as the original 34 nanometer version. Uh, they're talking about uh, the actual uh, memory NAND flash in, in the drive here. Uh, the new ones are designated by the E model number, by the way. There are a lot of people complaining about this, and there's even some sort of offer from OCZ to replace this version with the older one. See the link provided. I found the 34 nanometer version on Newegg, but for about $60 more if you count the rebate and shipping. What do you guys know about this? Um, we've actually kind of been going back and forth with OCZ and some other manufacturers about this because it's not a problem that only affects OCZ. I think if you remember a couple, three weeks ago, maybe longer, we talked about Corsair and mm -hmm. their answer to this. It was because of this problem that they came out and said, here's what we're going to do. You know, we're, we're going to offer 25 nanometer versions. We're going to designate them with a different model number. We're going right. to tell you that they're a slightly smaller capacity because of these changes. Um, the problem that OCZ had is they released these updated versions that slightly changed capacity and slightly changed performance without changing the model numbers, without changing the SKUs, without really kind of, you know, trying to let people know. And, and, and that was their fault. They, they, they owned up to it after they got called on it. Um, and what you're seeing, uh, the replacement that they're offering is that if you got one of those drives and you feel like the difference in performance and capacity is enough for you to go through the hassle of swapping out the drive with them that they will they will do that and i think that's pretty commendable on their part now you know they don't really have to do that type of stuff uh, but they want to continue to have you know good relations with the with the enthusiast community and we really talk about those who are buying ssds now especially in retail we're talking about enthusiasts um the issue at hand though um is is there a performance difference? Yes. Uh, is it dramatic? No. I mean, we're um, Alan, our SSD guy, did some testing with various drives uh, at this point, and you know, we're talking literally less than five percent performance difference, um, kind of at your your worst case there, maybe at right at five or six percent, and those differences are going to be in your sustained reads and write speeds, not in um, your 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 access time your your burst speeds that type of thing um so i don't think it's going to be an issue in terms of how the ssd actually feels there is a small capacity difference as well with some versions of that and again that's why corsair came out i think you know they're selling a 115 
gig drive rather than a 120 gig drive because the 25 nanometer flash uh, with the first version of those Sandforce controllers required a little bit more over-provisioning of memory, of mm -hmm. flash, to make sure that the lifespan of the drives was going to be acceptable. Uh, and again, OCZ got in trouble because they did not tell you that. They just kind of left it at the 120 mark instead of that. Um, that being said, his initial question is the Vertex 2 for 120 gigs, we're talking about a $60 difference. We're going from 230 to 170. Personally, for me, that price difference, I would be more than comfortable going with the Vertex 2 that's a 25 nanometer part um, that's going to be ever so slightly slower with a little bit less capacity. As long as you know that going in now, you know that, and you're making this purchasing decision based on it, I, I don't see a problem with that. And in fact, if there's, if there's really a $60 difference between them, um, between the newer one that's a little bit slower, a little bit smaller, versus the older one, um, I would go with that newer one, personally, still. Yeah. So, uh, it's one of those things, it's going to be, it's not going to be a problem for very much longer. The newer uh, updates to these controllers won't have this problem. They won't need to be over-provisioned. Uh, performance might still be a little bit slower because of, of, the, of the inherent properties of this flash memory. Um, right. But... The, the, the capacity issue will be addressed. I think that's what most people were kind of upset about what was that. So, but OCZ has corrected it. They've got different model numbers now, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's learning <laughs> from these mistakes. So. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Eliezer has a question about lossless audio. He says, I recently decided to try yet another Twit podcast, and I decided to give Twitch a try. Thanks, Eliezer. He says, I know Patrick is an audio freak. Thank you. So maybe he can put his two cents in. <laughs> I recently found myself auditioning some speakers in a stereo amp at a specialty audio store. I brought with me a CDR I created just for that purpose. The guy who was helping me inquired about the source of the recording because he said the songs didn't sound right. I told him I had ripped all my music collection to lossless so I could use my home theater PC as a jukebox. The source was FLAC, which I then converted to WAVE in order to burn the CD. He said I should have used AFE or WAVE, not FLAC, because although technically lossless, produces music that sounds digitized and flat. At first, I thought he was being arrogant, he being an audiophile, but then another guy walked into the store, and the first thing he said was, that doesn't sound right. He also said I should have used AFE or WAVE. I know my ears are not as good as some people, but I can tell the difference between highly or even mildly compressed music from lossless. Your thoughts? Um... Well, first of all, if I was going to convert FLAC files into, into burn a CD, um, I would probably use DB PowerAmp CD Writer. Uh, DB PowerAmp is some fantastic tools for managing uh, digital music. Um, it's pretty much all I've used for years to rip audio, uh, unless I was kind of bored and uh, using iTunes. But uh, DB PowerAmp CD Ripper, they've got a really cool tool uh, basically for batch ripping. The batch ripper is worth paying money for um, because it'll allow you to rip uh, off of multiple drives simultaneously. I've had like eight drives ripping at the same time. Um, hmm. But I would probably use something like their, their DB PowerApp CD writer to go directly from FLAC to burn an audio CD. That said, um, Wave and AFE are essentially containers for PCM audio. Um, you know, Wave was the kind of the IBM standard. AFE was the... Um, was the Apple standard, but uh, they are literally, they are the PCM audio is the audio that is pulse code modulated, is the audio that is on a CD disc. Wave is essentially the same thing as the file on the CD, and AFE is essentially the same thing as the file on the CD. Uh, I, man, I've got pretty good ears. Um, I have an enormous difficulty, you know, 256K MP3 with crappy, uh, you know, speakers, you know, basically a, a, a medium grade system, bad speaker location, a bad car steer, whatever, like, you know, even a even a, uh, an iPod with a mediocre set of uh, headphones, it's really hard. To, it's, it gets, starts getting really hard to tell the difference between 256, 256K uh, encoded MP3s and lossless files. I mean, really hard. You get a really good set of headphones, music you're really familiar with, especially really complicated choral pieces. Because mm -hmm. we have a lot of subtle voices combining into a larger form of music. Choir music, you know, audio compression is not kind to choir musics or, you know, Broadway show tunes where you've got a lot of people um, singing together. Not that I 
listen to a lot of that. But like the Beach Boys, when they start doing those beautiful harmonies sure. together, they just get crushed. Um, same thing for, for, for some kind of R&B stuff out there. Um, so, so that's where Lossless Files, you know, classic, real big on classic music, opera, choral pieces, uh, gospel music are, are where Lossless Files can really, really soar. Um, I think you, I, you know, depending on what tool, you know, the, the, there's so many places digitization can get messed up. I don't really like transferring, you know, even, even, you know, technically going from a lossless format to a lossless format shouldn't change anything because you have a replica of every piece of data with, that was originally in that PCM file, you know, I, I would be more concerned about you having created an issue with the, the, the software used to burn the disk than the actual source file. You know, um, you know. Feel free to email if you think I'm on crack. You know, I, I should also say that I don't. You know, I almost never use CDs anymore. If I'm auditioning equipment, if at all possible, I'm going to bring. And I don't really do much of that anymore because um, at some point I kind of burn. You know, I kind of realized that if I was going to get much better audio, I was going to spend much more money than I was willing to spend on anything other than headphones. So I kind of plateaued, <laughs> you know, right. I found my, like my ultimate sort of mid-fi combinations and, and, and just, you know, small apartments, kids. It was just like, I'm not going to have a set of watt puppies and a $55,000 amplifier to feed them. It's just not going to yeah. happen in my lifetime. But, you know, um, I also, you know, I've, I've, I own some headphones that are worth like three or $400. I've got a few hundred dollars worth of, of digital analog converters um, that feed them. So I would say, you know, get your FLAC files uh, and if you can bring them into the studio and start playing around with or into the into the audio store, um, you know, they may actually enjoy that process. But um, try DB Power Amp CD Writer. Uh, you know, try putting together, try some other stuff, you know, tr basically do what you're doing now, take your CDs, re-rip them, you know, because the problem with Wave and A files is they don't, um, they don't let you put ID3 tag type information with the file without doing some really complicated, you know, sort mm -hmm. of, you need, so you, I mean, the, the, the whole point of the half of MP3 is the compression, the other half of MP3 is the fact that it keeps a whole bunch of data that makes it much easier to use the audio in the real world. Um, I mean, I got to be honest with you, though. I find it difficult to believe that somebody can hear the difference between FLAC and and a WAV file or an A file. Dot dot dot. You know, perhaps if your your CD burning software um, wasn't up to snuff, maybe that created, it, or if there was an issue with the conversion of the FLAC file to the WAV file before you burned it. Try DB Power Amp CD Writer, or try you know you know go back to go back to scratch and use a. Uh, you know, use something like DB Power Amp to create your FLAC files or WAV files and see if you hear a difference. Because if you can't hear a difference, it doesn't bother me, you know, because, right. um, you know, you can, you know, if, if you can't hear it, then don't sweat it. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, as much as I like to, to guide people towards buying better audio gear and, and, and more you importantly. You do a good job. Thank you. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but there's like, there's a point because I've I've had that moment when I'm when I'm sitting there with a room full of guys and, you know, you know the one guy's got that scent of a really nice you know cigar and the other guy over there is wearing a watch that's worth more than all of you know my wife and mine's car put together and you know and and I'm trying to look at the used amplifier in the back and these guys are looking at forty thousand dollars worth of stereo equipment because it's Saturday and they have nothing else to do, um, <laughs> you know and, and people are talking about the inherent you know semi quaver you know and you're sitting there and it's like wait a minute are you actually going to buy those weird magnetic hockey pucks that tune the speakers to the you know so wait, there's no work man <laughs> don't get me started i mean it's it's funny like you know there's just there's a point where audiophile goes from audiophile to people who are trying to do alchemy because they're bored um uh, yeah you know, I, there's just like, you know, it, you know, and don't get me wrong. I love seeing somebody get their feral nerd on. And when they're running enough copper to, to burn like, you know what I mean? I've, I've seen, I've seen, <laughs> you know, 400 volt, um, TIG welders with less copper running to them than some people use running their speaker systems. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and it's kind of fun to see somebody who can actually talk about a $3,000 speaker interconnect with a straight face. I can't do it. But anyhow, play around with your encode, play around with your ripping and your encoding and your burning laser. Uh, if you can get a device that'll allow you to, uh, you know, a portable device um, that'll allow you to feed. Um, their system, or bring your bring a you know bring a CD player that you're familiar with, and bring that to to the testing environments. And I'm going to stop talking now because you know me. I'll talk about audio all day, and everyone will stop listening to the podcast. Albert, there's <laughs> a question Albert. about benchmarks for the man from PC Per. Uh, he wants to know what are some of the benchmarking software you guys use. Another question I have: uh, He has an Antec 1200 case. He loves it, but it's loud. How can he quiet it down? He has all the fans at the lowest setting. So, first question: What are some of the benchmark applications we use? Depends on what you're trying to test: CPU, GPU, general system performance. Um, general system performance. I think a good option is uh, something easily automated. Is still like PC Mark uh, Vantage. It's uh, from FutureMark. Uh, it's, it's kind of a good overall system test. And again, easy uh, GPU test, 3DMark Vantage, 3DMark 11 is out, uh, Unigen Heaven. These are all kind of like mm -hmm. automated tests that are easy for anybody to use. You click a button um, and you'll have easy to use tests that you can compare with other results online from reviews or other people in forums that you're discussing, if that's kind of what you're, you're, the benchmark numbers you're trying to get are for. Um, also, for CPUs, uh, I guess some of the more popular ones are Sysoft Sandra. That's one that's very popular for testing um, processor performance, raw, synthetic CPU performance. But the best benchmarks you can use are still applications that you personally use every day. If it's mm -hmm. uh, uh, Handbrake, for video encoding or transcoding, if it's iTunes for MP3 encoding or something like that, whatever applications you are actually using on a daily basis, those are the ones that you need to focus on. The problem is, if Albert's trying to compare his performance to other people's performance, um, that gets pretty difficult because you have to make sure you have the same source files, you have to make sure you have all the settings basically, you know, not basically, but exactly identical. Across all the systems, one setting and, and handbrake can, can change everything in terms of how long it's going to take to run. That's what makes the tests like uh, PC Mark, 3D Mark, uh, any of the future Mark sets of things. Uh, SysMark was very, very popular. A lot of people still use it, but it hasn't really been updated since like the 2008 timeframe. So it's losing a little bit there. But any game you can use as a benchmark as well, uh, as long as you attach FRAPS to it. FRAPS, F-R-A-P-S, is kind of like uh, the industry standard for being able to check your frame rate on a game, even if it doesn't have any integrated method of doing that. You just run FRAPS, start the game, you get a little frame counter on the side, you can benchmark for 60 seconds at a time uh, and get average frame rates, minimum frame rates, that type of stuff. There's, there's lots for that. Um, Antec 1200, it's loud. I don't, I mean, the case itself, I don't, I mean, you could always do uh, foam insulation, sound dampening uh, foam okay. insulation. You can buy, uh, you could probably get that at like frozen CPU. You were talking about that earlier, right? I yeah. imagine they have that kind of stuff there. It's funny, like uh, Silent PC Review did a, a big write-up of the Antec 1200 back in the day, and it's kind of funny. If, if you actually have the fans in the case set to low, um, they should be. The original fans are super quiet at, at the lowest setting, like you know, 15, 16 dB. Um, the problem is, is, is when you get into you know, part of the problem is, is there's a if any of those uh, fans throttle up, they they quickly get up to 39 dB, which is close to the hot, the loudest ones. Um, get pretty close to like conversation, uh, uh, you know, background office noise, which is like 42 dB. I think the real problem may be a there's so many holes in that case. Um, you know, because it has the crazy like one, two, three, four. There's three fans in the front. There's an optional fan in the side. There's two fans in the back. It's the big giant fan on top, and it leaks noise everywhere. So if you have a particularly loud CPU fan, or more likely a GPU that's got a big honking fan that gets fired up. Um, that can make a lot more. I think those might actually make a lot more noise than the rest of the fans on the case. Um, but I would start, you know, I would start looking at, you know, like you know, Ryan was saying, is is blocking block the side, basically block the entire side vent, that big open glass side vent on there, yeah. um, the top vent. Uh, I would, you know, 
probably start by opening up the case and seeing, you know, if the case gets louder as you open up the case, then chances are that it's the, the CPU fan and the, uh, and the GPU fan. Uh, and I would, you know, because it's kind of a funny thing. I used to play one of my, one of my old $500 PCs, um, the GPU fan, the, or, or I guess we'd call it the, the graphics card fan at that point because there wasn't much 3D to it. Um, got really loud and I put my finger on it and stopped it. And I'm like, okay, that's the loud fan. And I replaced it. And then I noticed that the chipset fan was really loud. So I replaced the chipset fan. <laughs> and that's when I realized that the GPU fan was, or the, the CPU fan was, was actually kind of loud now that the other two were quiet and I replaced nice. that. And at that point, you know, boy, you know, that, that, that power supply fan was really irritating. So I replaced that one. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's kind of one of those things where you can start looping, but you know, any any place when you look at silent piece, like really, you know, like the, the Puget's uh, like Puget Systems does some really nice mm -hmm. quiet systems, and and they do. Silent PC Review has done some buildups. And you notice whenever somebody claims the system is super quiet, they're building it for quietness. It's almost always there's no windows. Um, they don't have any extra, you know, basically there's no extra slots open in the back. There's no extra fan uh, holes that aren't used, and and you need to basically seal up all the holes in the case and control the airflow to make it as quiet as possible. Uh, if you want to do that, it's a fun project. It can get really nerdly really quick. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, search around on the, on the web for quiet my PC. But if you're looking for, you know, I would first start out by seeing like, you know, is it just that big fan on the top? Is it sitting right next to you? So that fan noise is directed up, you know, start shutting off the fans inside, figure out what's noisy and then start eliminating those fans while still keeping the appropriate amount of cooling inside the system. And, and you should be able to quiet down a bunch or, or some it's, again, it's a really tough case to make super quiet. Um, yeah. If there's loud stuff inside of it, because there's all those holes in the front and all those, you know, there's, there's, you know what I mean? There's, there's the giant fan on the top with the grill over it and there's a grill <laughs> on the side and it has slotted cover. You know, even the covers for the, even the covers for the PCI card slots are, you know, have big giant cutaways inside of them. It's just nice. Yeah. <laughs> let's see. Let's do, uh, I've got to get this email in here before we run out of time. This is an email from Sonny about memory. Ooh. I like this one. Who asks, uh, quite simply and to the point, if you're just running a gaming PC, is there any real reason to go up to 24 gigabytes of memory? No. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I want to say maybe he meant to just type four gigs of memory and like gigs? fat finger to two in, but no, I don't know. Those, those are separated, so... 24 gigs of memory. No. No. Yeah, no. Six no. gigs if you've, if you've got like, you know, DDR3 running in, in, in sets of three. Like six right. is Triple channel. a nice bump up from four, you know. Yep. 12 gigabytes starts getting ridiculous unless you run a lot of huge applications um, and, and you like the fact that, you know, Windows starts caching stuff in system memory to help sure. to help the, the launch of applications really fast. But Windows 7 will use as much memory as you give it. Yeah, like I know some crazy Photoshop jocks and video editors and some people who code some really ridiculous stuff and keep a lot of stuff going simultaneously. Even they're not going to 24 gigabytes of memory yet. Some of the video Yeah, like if, if you are. have 8 gigabytes today and you're on a gaming PC, an enthusiast class PC, you are ahead of the curve. I think 8 gigs is, is plenty. Our video editing rig only has... 12 maybe 16 in it and that's again hardcore 1080p video content that kind of deal you know trying to get it as as nice as we can 24 gigs uh no you're throwing away your money don't do that <laughs> and also you need a 64-bit version of the operating system to take advantage of, of really anything more than than three gigabytes of memory yep. so if you don't have a 64-bit copy of windows 7 or vista or, or you know obviously os 10 at this point is 64-bit right. um you, there is no point in you trying to upgrade to more than four gigabytes of RAM. Nice. Just saying. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm Patrick Norton. You can find more of me at techzilla.com. Uh, boy, yeah, we got a Nan talking about SSDs coming up next week. We got uh, the last of Robert Heron's roundup of home theater projectors. PCPer.com is an awesome, awesome site for hardware reviews. We talked a couple of articles. What's coming up on PCPer.com, Ryan? 
Well, last week we talked a little bit about that EVGA GTX 462 win graphics card. That is actually sitting on the test bed right now being benchmarked. So we'll have uh, a complete review of that. Uh, let's see. We also have uh, a couple of new SSDs reviews coming out of Allen as well. And again, I think I promised this last week, but this week I really mean it. A quick, or not a quick look, but a look at AMD's HD3D initiative and how it kind of competes against NVIDIA's 3D vision. Uh, for 3D gaming, movie watching, that type of stuff for your PC. So good stuff. I'm excited. <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I get distracted with the... Th I'm still kind of stuck okay. back. I'm like, how much would 24 gigabytes of memory cost at this point? Which is probably a good sign to say I'm Patrick Dorton. I'm Ryan Shrout. We'll see you next week on Twitch.